uh, through, through me, but ultimately through his word this morning. Thanks to Kev for leading, for the music group, and for the tech and support at the back. It's great to be able to know that there's all these works going in before we even open uh, the word of God. Well, I have the answers that the kids gave me this morning. I can tell you one very important thing. You have some very spiritual young people uh, in this church. Some of the answers, are they repeat, but it doesn't matter because they make the point. But we'll look at those a little bit later. So we come then to the end of Matthew chapter 13. And we're looking at a very obvious subject this morning, the rejected king or the rejection of Jesus. We come to the end of this significant section uh, of the book of Matthew, this book that you can split into two very distinctive parts. Uh, the first 13 chapters of Jesus in Galilee and the second uh, 14 chapters of Jesus in Jerusalem and making his way uh, to Jerusalem. The first 13 chapters then just give you this snippet, this window look, this tiny little glimpse into the majesty of Christ, the amazing things that he did, the things that he taught, the things that he said and the people that he met. The evidence of Jesus' God-given and God-power is overwhelming. And yet, as we look at this morning, we come to just five verses that describe the vast majority of our world today. They pay no recognition to who Jesus is. Uh, and so together again, we're going to read uh, the last five verses of, uh, of chapter 13, uh, from verses 53 to, uh, to 54. Marvellous. Okay, so chapter, uh, chapter 13 and then verses 53 uh, to 58, and it reads this. I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue. So they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not mother called Mary? And are his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did he get this man get all these things? And they took offence at him. And but Jesus said to them, Prophet is not without honour, except in his own town and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Father, as we look at your word this morning, bless it to us. Father, teach us, empower us, show us, and just uh, unveil uh, something of your of what you want us to get from your word this morning in Jesus name amen so this first little section then is it nothing more than a case of familiarity breeding contempt is it nothing more than a case of familiarity breeding contempt or is it something more is there something more to it than just that one simple statement you see, Jesus has been traveling all over the area, uh, some, performing some of the most amazing miracles the world has ever seen. He's been teaching people, healing people, and now he's finished this section of parables, these short stories, these allegories that are just uh, uh, something that everybody that was listening could get. And he's starting out on the long walk. You see, the long walk is twofold. There's a long walk to Jerusalem, literally, but there is also a long walk that will ultimately lead to the cross. So Jesus departs from Capernaum and he returns to his hometown of Nazareth. So in effect then, what Jesus is doing is simply going home. And this is the second time he'd been there since he started his public ministry. And our first time is recorded in Luke chapter 4. 
Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. He has spent 40 days in the wilderness of, Ju of Judea, where, where he was unsuccessfully tempted by the devil. He'd become preaching, and began preaching rather, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And we find that Jesus has returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and begun teaching in the synagogues of his hometown. You see, the thing that jumps out of the page when you read those five verses was the reaction of the people. There was no hero's welcome. There was no welcome home to this returning hometown hero. You see, the people, the vast majority of, of the people that Jesus met and interacted with were amazed, astounded, flabbergasted, if you will, by what Jesus said and did. Not the people in his hometown. Think of it as the modern day. I mean, I don't know if Paynton has any heroes, but if, if Paynton had a hero, all right? Let's say that Paynton has a hero, and he, that person goes off and does something amazing. And on the Paynton seafront, it's all shut off. There's hundreds of people everywhere, and all welcoming this hometown hero, this hometown person, this hometown boy who had done this amazing thing. The whole town would stop. Not in Jesus' case. The people were more interested in his earthly accolades. Wasn't he just a carpenter's son? Wasn't he just Mary's boy? <coughs> Interestingly, they then list Jesus' as brothers and sisters. You see, these people knew Jesus from boyhood. They knew him. Their children grew up alongside him in some respects. They knew exactly who he was, or so they thought. You see, the hardest place to witness and the hardest place to be a Christian is right where you live. It is right among your own family. It's easy for me to come up and stand up here and preach because I don't know many of you that well. But it's harder for me to do that in my home church because they know me. They know what I'm really like to a point. It's harder to do it in front of my wife because what happens is when I say amen, we get in the car afterwards and I go, how did that go? And she goes, well. It's harder to do it where you're known and within your own people. You see, it's harder to be a Christian amongst the people that know you best. They know you at your best. They also know you at your worst. You see, they see all your faults and failures. They may have seen you go through life's toughest challenges and are not even realized what give you hope when life hurts most. You see, Jesus was in the normal sense brought up through the scholar. He wasn't brought up in the, the normal sense and the normal ways of the Pharisees and the teachers of those days. He wasn't uh, dragged into the, into the synagogue, into the temple, and sat down with academic studies of, of the Torah and the first five books of the Bible and all the rest of it. You see, it was customary in those days that it was the mother in the home that taught the child everything about the basics of, those, uh, of the book, of the law, of the law of God. Yet Jesus' teaching was astounding. He taught with a God-given authority. Other places say no one spoke like this man. And yet here we have him not even recognized in his own town. You see, these people didn't understand that his wisdom and his authority and his learning and his everything came from God Almighty. It came from his dad. And they didn't realize it. We're talking about the rejection of Jesus. You see, the people didn't think he was any different from the rest of his family. He was just a carpenter's son. No offense if you are a chippy, but you know, this is what it is. He was just a carpenter's son. There was nothing special about him, or so they thought. They saw him grow up. 
I wonder if they ever sat there and rained and thought, did he ever do anything wrong? I don't remember. We all have those stories from when we were kids, you know, that get dragged up every time the family gets together. Do you remember when you did such and such? No. I know perfectly well I do, but for the sake of this, no, I'd have no idea. I wonder if there was ever a conversation where those people sat there, hey, do you remember when Jesus nicked that thing? Do you remember when we saw Jesus being chased by the palace authorities? No, I don't remember that either. I wonder if that ever dawned on them. I don't know. Who knows? So look, in their eyes, there's nothing distinctive about Jesus whatsoever. There's nothing to set him apart. Well, let me set the record straight right here this morning. There's many of you that don't know me that well. There's a few of you that do. But there's one thing that you all realize about me. Is I'm very straight talking. I say it as it is. That could be my downfall. Who knows? But that is what it is. So let me straight set the record straight here this morning. You see, Jesus is more than just a family member. He is more than a carpenter's son. He is more than a man with a mother named Mary. He is more uh, than a family with brothers and sisters and those members that are mentioned. So what I propose to do now is use our post-it notes. And we're going to see exactly what the kids of your church said Jesus is. So we've got, this is my favorite one because we'll start with this, all right? We've got Jesus is someone who loves us. We've got Jesus is God's son. We've got Jesus is our life. We've got Jesus is a man. We've got Jesus is our saviour. We've got Jesus is God. We've got Jesus is a human form of God. We've got Jesus is the son of God. We've got Jesus is lovely and kind. We've got Jesus the son of God. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Do you get the picture? That Jesus is more than just the son of a carpenter. He's more than just a family member. He's more than just a historical man that may or may or may not lived. So what I propose to you now is to use those examples, but also back it up with something from the Bible. And that's from this, and it's from Colossians 1, and it reads like this. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 19. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. You see, he is even more than the Son of God. He is even more than the Saviour. Without him, we don't exist. Do you get that? Does that resonate with you? Were you sitting this morning, does that resonate you with, with you, the fact that without him we don't exist? These people saw Jesus. They saw the image of the invisible God. They saw the firstborn of creation. They saw the first roots of those that slept. They saw everything that Paul describes in that passage, and yet they merely rejected him. They said, we're not interested. He's just a carpenter's son. He's just Mary's boy. Come on, there's nothing special about him. I mean, you might look at me and think there's nothing special about me. There is something special about Jesus. There is something amazing about Jesus. There is something mind-blowing about Jesus. Get your head around the fact that if Jesus isn't exactly who he says he is, we don't exist. He is the, Im the image of the invisible God. He, he said himself, he who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me 
has seen the Father. The description that Paul writes sums up Christ perfectly. The world will tell you that Jesus is nothing more than a good man at best, a good teacher, or a nice bloke. Yeah, he was all right, I suppose. He went around doing good things. The question to you is this, is what place does Jesus have in your life? What are you going to put in the blank space? Are you going to put Lord? Are you going to put Lord in that blank space when the question says this, that Jesus is what? Is he simply dismissed as a good man, a good teacher, or a nice bloke? Or are you going to do exactly what, what the people in this passage did? Jesus and his family were well known in Nazareth, so people find it almost impossible to evaluate him in terms of his message and his deity. They failed to see of who he was because of their preconceived ideas. I guess that's that then. It's perfectly acceptable to do what the people of this passage is and just write Jesus off. Well, except it isn't. We all have a responsibility when it comes to who Jesus is and making a decision. There's no splinters involved. There's no sitting on a fence. You've got to make a decision. He's either Lord or he's nothing. That's it. That's your two extremes. He's either Lord or he's nothing. Is he Lord of your life? If you give someone a position of Lord, that means they take the highest place. If you give somebody the position of Lord, they take the highest place, the first place. Remember the Ten Commandments, Numbers 1 and 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Jesus deserves the highest place. So my question I ask still stands. Is Jesus Lord or is he nothing? If you're not a Christian here this morning, or actually, more importantly, perhaps, even if you are, what place does God have in your life? Why is Jesus special? Why does he deserve the first place? Well, our passage this morning wasn't the first time that Jesus came home. You would have picked that up. I said that. Luke 4 says this, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found that the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. This is not in the Bible, this is just my, the way I look at it. I can imagine Jesus sat at the front where the scroll was rolled out before him. He rolls the scroll up, he gives it back to the attendant, and he looks at everybody in the eye. And then he says these words, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. You have seen the Father. You have seen Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and to recover the sight of the blind. And today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All the eyes of the synagogue were fixed upon him. Jesus has come into his hometown. 
He's walked into the temple. He's picked up the prophet Isaiah's words about him, read them, sat down, and basically told the people, come and get me. I am here. I am he. Metaphorically, he takes the pin out of the grenade and throws it into the room. I am here. So the place went up, and the passage goes on to say that they drove him out of the town and tried to push him off a cliff. His own hometown rejected him. Yet what he read was true. He was anointed by God to minister to the needs of people. He did preach the gospel to the poor. He showed them love and that they were not to be uh, disposable by God. He did heal the brokenhearted. He did give the blind their sight and he liberated those who were oppressed. And while the, right, the, the rest might be obvious, ultimately he was called by God to announce salvation. The Bible says very clearly that salvation was found in no one else. He made salvation possible by the blood of his cross. Jesus died. He died for your sin and for mine. We've just sung that song by Phil Wickham, but you are beautiful. And it says this, I see you there hanging on a tree. You bled and then you died and then you rose again from me. Now you are sitting on your heavenly throne and soon will be coming home. Do you get that? Does that resonate with you this morning? The fact that Jesus came to die. He came ultimately to give his life in our place. He died for your sins and mine. He died on the cross in a death that was such that we may have life and life in its fullness. And life in the fullness of that death eternally that one day we will be going home if you are a Christian here this morning. I had a very interesting conversation with an evangelist recently and he made, this, he made this fabulous statement. He said, the world is ready for two things. One, revival. Two, Jesus is coming back. I don't care which one's which, but the world is ready for two things. Revival or the return of Christ. We will be going home. We'll be with him and we will be like him. You see, when Jesus... Uh, died on the cross and when God looks on his creation he sees us as innocent if we put our faith and our trust in Christ that why that that word nothing should be eradicated and the word that we're looking for is Lord so my question to you is this is he is he really the Lord of your life is he if you're not a Christian here this morning I implore you don't do what the people did and rejected Jesus as nothing more than the carpenter's son Make him the Lord of your life. Let him be in charge. Let him be king. Let him have the first place in your heart. Let him, this morning, be this morning, that you get right with God. What are you going to do? Reject him or accept him? Have you noticed how easily the word offended gets thrown around these days? Nobody should ever be offended by anything or everyone, or rather anyone. Speak out against anything the liberal bigots throw out today, and you are embracing hate. Speak out against anything in favour of anything remotely Christian and watch out because somebody will be offended by it. It was the same in Jesus' day. The unbelievers in the temple were offended by what Jesus said. Good. They were offended by what Jesus said. Good. You see, they were envious of what he said, what he taught and what he did. Warren Wearsby put it like this. There are two things that amazed the people of Nazareth, the Lord's words and his works. However, they did not trust him, and this limited his ministry. 
You see, Jesus didn't perform any signs or wonders in the time. Why? Because the people believed that he wasn't who he said he was. Yet look what he had done in other times that believed exactly that he said who he was. He healed people. His grace is such that if he saw people in need, he would heal them. Jesus was rejected by the people in his own town. They rejected him as nothing more than the son of a chippy. He had no formal religious education. He didn't have a position in the temple. But he was much more than that. He didn't need those things because why? This was God himself. This is not just a man. This is not just a saviour. This is not just any of the post-it notes that are sprawled across the lectern here. This is God himself as a man walking on this earth standing in front of the people standing at the front of the temple and saying this scripture today has been fulfilled in your hearing his grace his mercy his truth and his love Jesus was rejected by the people in his own town unbelief was the biggest hindrance to receiving mercy and blessing salvation and unbelief are incompatible Jesus knew that he was alone and was rejected and all of us this morning have a choice to make a response to Jesus there are those of us who accept him and make him Lord or are you a person that has been coming to church for months years even you have heard the messages you've heard the messages from people that are far better and far more eloquent and equipped than I am and you're familiar with him but you've not honored him by making him the Lord of your heart you see, today, make Jesus the Lord of your heart, your life, and give him your all. But be prepared. You put that faith and that trust in Jesus, and God will do things with your life that you will never think possible. That's not a warning, by the way. It's an encouragement. That's not me saying, oh, don't do that, because if you do that, then it might get all a bit strange and you won't like it. It's me encouraging you. If you put your faith and your trust in Christ, be prepared. Because God will do things in your life that will astound you. And ultimately, when that day comes, and we're caught up to meet him in the air, we go to be in heaven with our God, you will spend eternity with him. No more tears. No more crying. No more pain. No more anguish. Nothing but us and God. We all have our ideas of what heaven's going to be like. Mine, a huge lake, plenty of fish. We all have ideas of what heaven's going to be like. But the simple fact is this. We will be with him and we will be like him. You see what happened to Jesus? Well, it's one very simple thing that leads into our last song. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He's the thing that holds the church and everything together. He was rejected by men, exalted by God, and given the name above every name. His name is Jesus, and he is Lord. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that as we've looked at this passage of these people that rejected your son. Father, we read words that say, it pleased you to bruise him. That, Father, you sent your son to the cross. That, Father, he was rejected and despised by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And yet, Father, it pleased you to raise him from the dead. That, Father, he now sits at your right hand 
exalted at the right hand of God on his throne. That, Father, help us to be people that accept who Jesus is. That, Father, we take him, we make him our king, and that he is our Lord. And that, Father, yes, we realize exactly what it means, that Lord means first place. And, Father, help us when those times when he's nowhere near. Yet, Father, we thank you that ultimately the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He is the thing that holds it all together. But, Father, we thank you that the image of the invisible God came to the earth's earth. That, Father, he could stand in the temple and he could say, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Father, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to sing our final song together. Uh, Christ alone cornerstone it's up on the screen uh, but it just really gets a grips with some of the words that you're going to be singing this is exactly who Jesus is he's the cornerstone he's the thing that holds everything together the people rejected him my prayer is that we would do nothing but and that we would make him lord of our lives let's stand to sing Oh no. 